Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is October the 19th, 2023. It's been 3,523 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 238 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. During today's podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed. And there is a link in the podcast description. There are updates. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. There are changes from yesterday. The limited introduction of Atakams missiles into the theater of war has been highly effective, and their continued deployment would likely force Russia to pull air assets and larger ammunition depots back into the Russian Federation limiting loitering time for close air support and complicating logistics. The soft response by Ukraine's allies after Russian aggression on Ukraine's border will eventually lead to a significant incident that could result in military intervention, with Russia starting to target international shipping lanes. The Ukrainian summerfall counteroffensive is likely reaching its culmination point due to a number of factors. Even though Ukraine still maintains significant combat potential and is maintaining the initiative in the Bakhmut and Zaporizhia regions. In our assessment, the Russian Federation's attempt to force Ukraine to utilize its reserve forces and accelerate the consumption of ammunition due to the United States military aid remaining in limbo is already unsuccessful. Russia continues to hold the initiative in three areas of Operation AO but the poorly executed offensives have caused catastrophic losses of personnel and equipment. The failure of the United States House to elect a new speaker continues to put future Ukrainian military operations at risk. We further assess that the abrupt ending of U.S. military aid will be catastrophic if a resolution is not reached within the next 7 to 14 days. The Kremlin is using the Israel-Hamas war as a distraction in the information space, to fracture support for Ukraine further and to paint the Hamas-Israeli war as an Arab-United States and NATO war. We maintain that Russia is stockpiling missiles for large-scale attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure, as the weather continues to degrade and the activity to destroy Ukraine's electrical system has started. Finally, while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. Today's action report starts in Kharkiv. In the Kupiansk operational area, AO, Russian forces continue to employ human wave attacks with limited armor support. 
north of Kupiansk, mutual fighting continued near Sinkivka. East of Kupiansk, the Russian Ministry of Defense reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive near Pershotravneva and Orlanska. More intense fighting continued east of Ivanivka and further south near Kislivka. Kharkiv Oblast Administrative and Military Governor OVA Oleg Sinyahubov said that the industrial district in the city of Kharkiv was attacked by Russia, wounding one person and knocking out power to parts of the city. Moving on to the situation in the Donbass, we start in Luhansk. In the Svatovayo, Russian forces continued their attacks near Sergeyevka and Nadia, with no change in the situation. Russian forces made three attempts to advance on Makivka, without success. South of Kremenna, the Russian Ministry of Defense, Armod, made its daily claim of a Ukrainian offensive in the area of Dubrova. In occupied Luhansk, medium-resolution satellite images from Planet Labs showed the extent of damage at the Russian helicopter base near the city of Luhansk. The airfield was hit by two M140M39 Atakams missiles, with the images confirming five Russian helicopters were heavily damaged. We'll link to the pictures in our daily situation report, which is available to our subscribers for $5 a month. The link is in the podcast description. In northeastern Donetsk, Armod claimed there was fighting near Hromove in the Bakhmut area, with no other sources making a similar claim. Mutual fighting was reported in the Klishchivka AO, east and northeast of Klishchivka, where Ukrainian forces have made marginal gains. Armod claimed Ukrainian forces were on the offensive in the area of Andreevka and near Kurdumevka. We have additional information, but we can't share it at this time. Next, let's talk about the situation in southwestern Donetsk. In the Avdivka AO, Russia launched another armored offensive, and it went about as well as all previous attempts of the last 10 days. One tank and five infantry fighting vehicles, or IFVs, were destroyed before the column reached the forward-most line of friendly troops, flot. And yes, we have the video. An analysis by the Ukrainian source Deep State determined that in the previous 10 days Russia lost 63 pieces of heavy military equipment at the Krasnohorivka plateau. Only six tanks, IFVs and armored personal carriers, or APCs, made it past the flood, with a single tank advancing 500 meters through open terrain before being destroyed. The rest of the equipment was destroyed within Krasnohorivka or in the area of H-20 highway. Over the last 10 days, Russian armored losses on the eastern approach and the north and south flanks of Avdiivka are between 90 and 100 vehicles. Russian mail blogger Informant, who claims to be in the Avdiivka AO, described the situation for Russian forces, and it isn't good. Quote, There is no need to talk about successes on our part. The entire theater of military operations consists of four forest plantations. If they manage to knock the Ukrainians out of the line of defense, then they completely destroy all the trenches with artillery and tanks. After such shelling, the position becomes impossible to hold. All that has been achieved at the moment is moving the positions of the Ukrainian armed forces away from ours and increasing the gray zone. The current results of the offensive, which has been going on for almost 10 days, 
are in no way worth the losses incurred. No one cared about counter-battery combat or the ultimate superiority in fired shells. Quick sidebar. The Russian mail blogger is complaining about the lack of counter-battery and inadequate suppressive fire to support Russian troops. Informant goes on to say, quote, To put it quite frankly, the sector the most fortified by the Ukrainians was chosen, and no other result should have been expected. Unquote. As previously noted, fighting continued near Avdivka, with Russian forces suffering heavy losses and returning to their defensive positions. Were you expecting more? That's all that happened. However, we maintain that Russian forces are in an operational pause and will continue their attacks. In the Marinka AO, Russian forces continued their attacks in Marinka, with no change in the situation. In the Vogledar AO, Russian forces did their Russian thing near Novomikhailivka and restarted their tradition of suffering losses and returning to their previous defensive positions. In the Staromlinivka AO, the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, reported that Russian forces tried to advance out of Novomayorska without success. Continuing along the line of conflict, in Zaporizhia, the Ukrainian commander of the operational strategic group Tavria, Brigadier General Oleksandr Tarnavsky, reported that Ukrainian forces conducted 1,412 fire missions against Russian troops. Russian forces responded with 799 fire missions of their own, and the Russian Aerospace Forces, VKS, conducted 27 airstrikes. South of Urikhiv, GSFU reported that Russian forces launched a counteroffensive east of Malatokmachka, which was unsuccessful. Russian forces continued their counteroffensive on the western edge of Verbove and remained unable to advance. A prominent Russian mail blogger claimed that Russian forces also continued their efforts to push Ukrainian forces back west of Robotene and north of Kopani. Fighting has been heavy, with both combatants trading control of defensive positions. The death toll in the city of Zaporizhia from the overnight missile strike increased to five after an apartment building was hit. The building is in danger of collapse, with a crane holding the topmost floor in place. Searchers found and rescued a cat that has been buried in debris for 11 hours. Another missile hit the Dynamo sports complex, causing heavy damage. A third missile successfully demilitarized a professional soccer pitch. In occupied Bredyansk, additional medium-resolution satellite images from Planet Labs showed the extent of damage at the Russian airbase that was hit by Atakam's missiles. Five Ka-52 and four Mi-8 helicopters, and they may be Mi-17s, as they look almost identical, were destroyed, and another four Mi-8s were likely damaged to the point of not being airworthy. We link to the satellite images. Now it's time to talk about the events in the Black Sea region, including Romania, Bulgaria, occupied Crimea, Odessa and Mykolaiv. Operational Command South, OCS, reported the Black Sea fleet had six vessels on patrol. Director of Communications for OCS, Captain Natalia Humenyuk, said that Russia has started dropping UMPK glide bombs into international shipping lanes 
and potentially deploying sea mines in an attempt to disrupt increasing traffic to Ukraine's Odessa seaport. In occupied Crimea, Armod claimed that they intercepted a Ukrainian missile at Sukharnaya Balka near Sevastopol. Video and pictures showed a large explosion had rocked the Karakoba area and was geolocated to where the 3413 engineering missile station, unit number 13189 of the Russian Federation, is located. Local officials claim the missile was intercepted and the intact warhead crashed into an empty field. We'll wait for the next satellite pass to see what we can see. Insurgents shared pictures of a significant number of two S-1 Gvazdika self-propelled howitzers, or SPGs, staged in occupied Crimea for transfer to Zaporizhia. More than 10,000 of the MTLB armored personnel carrier-based SPGs were built from 1971 to 1991. With a conventional firing range of 15 kilometers and a maximum rate of fire of 5 rounds per minute, the 2S1 will have to come uncomfortably close to the flood, making it a drone target. Russia has transferred combat dolphins from Sevastopol to the westernmost coast of Crimea, with the pens near Novozerny. It is believed that the dolphins have been moved to detect Ukrainian special forces units that have been conducting raids since the recapture of the boycott towers. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced he ordered the deployment of four MiG-31K multi-role fighter jets to occupied Crimean air bases. The planes are capable of launching the KH-47 Kinjal air-to-surface ballistic missile, frequently misidentified as a hypersonic weapon. I know what you're thinking. But regrettably, the United States provided ATACOMS missiles Ukraine received only has a range of 165 kilometers, and parts of Crimea are still out of range. Moving to assessment. Our analyst team believes that these will be used mostly as psychological warfare weapons, forcing Ukraine to issue nationwide air alerts anytime the aircraft are airborne. Russia used the same technique last year, stationing MiG-31Ks in Belarus. During that deployment, Russia did launch a handful of Kinjal missiles. It is possible Russia will target port infrastructure in the Odessa region. Why would they want to do that? Here's why. In the last month, more than 30 cargo ships have passed through Odessa's ports, carrying more than 1 million tons of grain. This is equivalent to the first full month of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, and highlights how much control Russia has lost of the Ukrainian coastline. In addition to grain, iron ore has been exported. Finally, the city of Mykolaiv was hit by at least one missile, destroying an abandoned warehouse and breaking windows in several nearby apartment buildings. No injuries were reported. In Free Kherson, Kherson Oblastova Oleksandr Prokudin said Russia carried out 105 fire missions, firing 508 munitions, rockets, drone-delivered IEDs and bombs, striking the city of Kherson 23 times. Russian attacks targeted residential areas, the markets in the Dnipro district and a park. Two people were killed and four wounded. 
We have answers about Russian claims of Ukrainian forces crossing the Dnipro and Konka rivers and reaching Pishanivka and Poima on the left bank. It's true. GSAFU reported that Russian forces conducted airstrikes near Pishanivka, revealing that Ukrainian forces are operating across the river. A Russian video our analyst geolocated showed the area near the damaged railway bridge over the Verkhnyakonka river being repeatedly targeted by Russian artillery that repeatedly missed. Another Russian video showed a small group of Ukrainian forces on the edge of Pishchanivka. We adjusted the map, mostly expanding the gray area. There is a lot we still don't know at this time, including force strength, composition and mission. Even if this is a small group of naval infantry, they've penetrated up to 11 kilometers and have met little resistance from Russian ground forces. Before I talk about theater-wide events, a quick footnote. We are covering the Israel-Hamas war and have started situation reports available throughout our Patreon. $5 a month gets you in-depth information about the Russia-Ukraine and Israel-Hamas war. There is a link in the podcast description. And now on to theater-wide events. Russian President Putin was asked about Atakam's missiles at a press conference and scoffed, claiming that they won't change the outcome of the war and Russia will be able to repel them. Where have we heard that before? He went on to say that if Russia loses the war, the United States can take their attackums home and President Joe Biden can join him for pancakes and tea. This is not snuck. I'm not making this up. He really said that. Come to think about it, I'm not sure if the offer to have tea with Putin is actually a threat. Don't ever drink tea with Putin. I'm set to report that Ukrainian air defenses had a rough night. Russia launched five Iskander-M short-range ballistic missiles, one KH-59 guided cruise missile, one undetermined cruise missile, and nine Shahid-136 kamikaze drones. Air Defense shut down the KH-59 and three Shahids. There were hits in the Donetsk, Mykolaiv, Sumy, Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia regions. We couldn't finish our battle damage assessment in time for recording. The president's representative in the Verkhovna Rada, People's Deputy Fedor Venislavsky, said there was no need to expand, speed up or increase the number of mobilization measures. On Wednesday, United States Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio got fewer votes than he did last week, ending his effort to become the Speaker of the House. It has been 16 days since Speaker Kevin McCarthy was vacated. Ukraine shared a video of six more Atakams missiles being launched, bringing the total used to 11. Will Putin's words about being able to repel Atakams age like room-temperature milk? Stay tuned. Will the Associated Press's anonymous source who claimed that Ukraine got less than a dozen Atakams be wrong? Stay tuned for that, too. France announced it would be tripling 155mm artillery shell production by the end of the year and will be able to send Ukraine 3,000 rounds per month starting in January. While it may be tempting to dismiss 3,000 shells a month, which isn't enough to supply Ukraine for a single day, it does raise a question. 
Ukrainian forces have shown no signs of conserving ammunition, and dire predictions from March 2023, based on the leaked classified documents, did not come true. Numerous European countries have restarted manufacturing artillery ammunition in the last year, with most treating their production numbers as a state secret. What is unclear is how much additional production has quietly come online. In our assessment, it appears significantly more than the world has been told. We should be back to a full report tomorrow with an updated table of losses. And that's today's report. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.